Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 30 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with best-selling author Noah Fleming, who's here today to talk about a subject that's surprisingly controversial, value-based fees. Noah doesn't bill by the hour, he doesn't sell deliverables, and he regularly sells projects for 70k that he uses to sell for 7. And no, Noah's not some snake oil salesman, because the best part is, his clients are thrilled with the deal, because Noah's focused on something that most agencies aren't, the value the project creates for the business. In today's chat, we cover everything from how Noah developed these skills from the consulting master himself, Alan Weiss, to the missteps he took when applying it early on. If you're tired of the race to the bottom on fees, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Noah. Noah, thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For the listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you give us just a quick sort of 60-second backstory on who Noah Fleming is? First and foremost, I always like to say this, but I'm a father and a husband, so I've got uh, two little girls at home, but I'm a, uh, I'm a consultant, and I work primarily with privately held mid-market companies, so your small to medium-sized companies, uh, but I've also worked with some much larger organizations, you know, billion dollars plus in revenue, uh, and yeah, I mean, I've been working in my consulting practice now for 10 years. It's certainly been a learning experience. And I'm learning more new things every year, but it's a, uh, I'm really on a roll right now. Things are going really well. I finally got a great groove. Uh, got a, my first commercially published book came out last year. It was called Evergreen. It hit number one in sales and marketing and customer service on Amazon. Congrats. It, you know, everybody says they're an Amazon bestseller. And, and then you find out it was like in, you know, sh- shoe polish category. <laughs> uh, right. I hit it. It was only for a day, but we hit it. And so that was you still hit it. Yeah, and so uh, so that was pretty cool. My second commercially published book comes out later this year, and that's called The Customer Loyalty Loop. Awesome. I'll get both of those linked up in the show notes. One thing I wanted to start out by talking about is I know you've you sought out your own coach to help improve your consulting practice. And that was the king of consulting, Alan Weiss. So what made you first realize that coaching could help you? Well, so that, yeah, that's a great story. You know, when I got into consulting, uh, and I, and I put that in quotations, consulting, you know, I didn't really understand what that meant. And so basically I would go out to my local businesses in the town where I live. I live in a small town of 20, 25,000 people. And, you know, it was basically anybody that was willing to write me a check, anybody that was willing to pay me to help them market their businesses online, offline, however, I would take that money. And so it would be, you know, my local restaurants, the local golf course, the local accountants, financial service providers, whoever. You know, that was good for a while. I made some good money doing that. It was decent. But then I thought, I I really want to get serious about this. I want to expand beyond uh, a five-minute drive from my house. And I want to, you know, get some clients all over the place. And so when I started to look into really what to understand what consulting really is. Uh, Alan Weiss kept popping up. You know, I would go on Amazon and type in consulting, and the guy would have like 40 something books there. And I believe now he's written over 60 books. And so I went on his website, and one day I saw that he's got all these coaching programs, and he's got this forum, and he's got these things happening. So I signed up for his forum first, and inside I found 
all these amazing people talking about these really unique things uh, that I had really not understood. One of the big things being this idea of value-based fees, you know, that you could charge for your value towards a project instead of just charging somebody hourly or some sort of random fee that you pulled out of your head that was a small fee. Uh, I learned that you could charge a lot more for your contribution to the to your value. And so long story short, when I learned Alan did private coaching uh, with people, I thought, you know what, if I'm going to get serious about this, I'm going to get serious and I'm going to work with the guy who's the best. And I asked around and everybody kept saying, Alan's the guy, Alan's the guy. And so I spent a lot of money to work with him personally. And uh, that was a game changer for me. You know, it was a, a huge investment in myself. I put all that investment on credit cards and, uh, and there was a lot of travel involved, but it, it was a fantastic investment. That was probably about seven years ago now. And, you know, my business has, uh, I would say probably 10x itself wow. since that first time. And do you mind saying what the investment was? Uh, at the time, I invested in a coaching program. I think I spent around 10 grand. Then very quickly, I joined a mastermind group that Alan had just put together. He called it the Growth Cycles, where I worked with others in his community, about four or five others plus Alan. So that was another 10 grand. All in total, that first year, I think I went in the hole about $40,000. Uh, and, and I learned a ton. I mean, I went to some of these meetings, you know, with these people that had been consulting for the past 15, 20 years, and, and I kind of felt like a, like an outsider. Uh, but I knew I had to learn quickly. I had to learn what they were doing. Uh, I had to learn how to position myself in the right way, how to get the fees I wanted to get, but more importantly, how to provide value to my clients. And, and that was really, you know, some of the key components that I learned in the entire experience. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of listeners are probably going to have sticker shock when they hear the number. But then when you also say my business is 10x since then, like it's clear that the ROI has been tremendous. Well, the ROI has been tremendous, and you know now uh, th those are investments that I that I make in myself every year. They're not. It's not something that I stopped doing. Uh, in fact, those investments in different things dramatically increased. It's not just not just to say you know Alan is the guru of gurus if, if he listens to this, uh, but part of it is is surrounding yourself with the right people. You know, we, we all hear the talk about, especially entrepreneurs, we hear the importance of mastermind groups and the, the people you connect yourselves with. The most powerful thing I found of that entire experience has been uh, the colleagues and the professional acquaintances that I've made, the people that I can go to and ask a specific question. You know, one of my favorite, one of my best friends is a consultant named Dan Whedon. He works in the insurance business. Uh, we, we became friends that first year. We were in the same group together. Just yesterday, I texted him a question, you know, about a client that I was dealing with and a proposal that was going out. And within 30 seconds, I had an amazing response, you know, a challenge that I had spent an hour trying to figure out. Uh, he nailed for me just with a simple text. And so that power of getting the right colleagues, the right community, being surrounding yourself with the right people was, you know, immensely powerful and easily worth uh, every penny I paid and more. What does your business look like today? I'm guessing you're not still driving around to the local golf course or pizza place drumming up business. So like, how is it transforming your business? What does your consultancy look like today? Well, you know, it's funny because I said that I wanted to get business uh, that wasn't within driving distance. My largest project this year happened to be a manufacturing client 10 minutes from my house. 
Uh, I had never spoke to them before. I didn't know anything about them, but somehow they got my book. Uh, you know, the phone rang one day. We got to talking. And there, there you go. My biggest project of the year thus far. So pretty awesome. You know, I, I go, I go, uh, I drive 10 minutes, grab a coffee. I'm there at their office. We can work together. It's, you, you couldn't ask for a better gig. That said, now I've got clients all over the place. So I'm a Canadian, if your listeners don't know this. And I've finally broken myself into the U.S. market, which has been remarkable. Uh, you know, that was a, that was a big undertaking for me. For many years, it was sort of this, this gauntlet. I had clients in the U.S., but most of the work was remote. That ability, you know, to find a client, to go down there and to meet with a buyer, whether it's in Louisiana or Los Angeles or San Francisco, uh, and to get that client and do work for them again, remotely or on site, just seemed like this, you know, this sort of insurmountable, uh, mountain to cross. But once you figured it out, it's actually pretty easy. And so having a, uh, having a wide array of clients in, a number of different industries all over North America right now is just, it's, it's pretty wild. It's pretty awesome. Let's kind of dive into the meat of what I'm hoping to cover in this podcast, the value-based fees. How would you just describe what that even means? Well, so that that's obviously the underpinning of uh, Alan Weiss's teachings. And so, you know, if anybody goes onto Amazon, you can get his, I think, the 25th anniversary of Million Dollar Consulting just came out. And sort of the core intellectual property that Alan teaches is this concept of value-based fees, which is that uh, you should charge and you should be paid for your uh, contribution to the outcome that the client gets. And so we charge based on our value and our contribution, our value to the ROI that the client's going to get. And that ROI can be uh, can be cash, it can be tangible, or it can be intangible, like creating you know a, a better life balance for your client or more time to spend with their kids. There's immense value in that. Uh, so our fees are charged based on our value. The really cool thing that that does is one, it allows you to again you know sort of multiply your fees. 10x your fees, essentially. I don't know why I keep talking about this 10x thing. I think I must have read some Grant Cardone recently. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that ability. And then also to decrease your labor intensity at the same time. So you're not stuck trying to put in X amount of hours. So you have this amount of billing. You have an agreement of here's the project. Uh, here's a project that we both agree on. Here are the outcomes that we both agree are things that we can achieve if we do this work. And then here are my fees, and this is my contribution to that. And so that allowed me uh, – this is something I said in another podcast, which really sort of ruffled some people's feathers. That allowed me you know, to go to say – to take a typical $7,000 project uh, to $70,000. And the work really didn't change that much. The only thing that changed was now I was being compensated for my value, which was sometimes, you know, a 10x of that for the client. And so they're happy to pay it. But when they know that you're being paid by the hour, when they know that there's a clock running, that creates that creates a real sort of discontent with the with the client. It creates a discontent with typically with the service provider. And so what Alan says is, you know, it's almost unethical. It's unethical to bill hourly because uh, there's this clock running all the time and we don't know what's being charged for. And so my clients typically when they pay me, they have, you know, unlimited access within reason by phone, by email. That doesn't mean I'm going to take on additional projects uh, because we already have a project that's set in stone via proposal. But what it does mean is, you know, they can contact me, they can reach out to me, and they don't have to worry that every time they do, there's this clock running. So, 
you know, a lot of people are afraid to call lawyers, right? And we're afraid to call our lawyer because the moment they pick up the phone, that clock starts running. And whether that call takes 10 minutes or takes 35 minutes, we're being billed 600 bucks for the hour. <laughs> There's legitimacy to the, to the claim that it's unethical. And so the really nice thing about billing, again, towards your value is that you're compensated towards your value. And that to me has been a game changer. That makes perfect sense. And especially from the consultant standpoint, I can clearly see why that's better. And for the client, I agree that when you have hourly billing, there is a conflict of interest in that, one, they're going to be afraid to pick up the phone. They're going to be afraid of when is the clock running and when is it not? What are they billing me for and all of this? And if you just kind of put a price on the whole package, they don't need to worry about that. But one thing when I was reading through kind of value-based fees myself is that I had a question about was, I know Alan is very adamant about not focusing on the deliverables, not focusing on, well, we'll have three phone calls once every other week. You'll get a report from me monthly or quarterly or whatever, and really focusing instead on the results and almost just not even talking about those types of access questions and deliverables. How does that actually look in the conversation with a client? Like, How do you answer those questions when they say, well how are you going to do this or how, what will I get from this or, or those types of questions? Yeah. That, and that's a great question. And something that I struggled with for a long time was, you know, well, what, what am I going to give the client for this much money? Right. Uh, at the end of the day, r- real buyers and, and, you know, business focused people, if you can have these types of discussions that are based on the outcomes, uh, the outcomes being, you know, the result at the end of the work, uh, they they typically don't care about the deliverables and all those other things. What they want is the result. And so sometimes you have to train your clients uh, that this is the way you work, especially in small business, I've found. So, uh, you know, I have some smaller business clients that for very early on, they did expect a certain number of calls and they did expect a certain amount of time. And you have to show them that there's a far more important thing. And the far more important thing is the result, whether we get the result really quickly there's value in that, whether it takes us some time and, you know, we might talk once a week or we might talk four times a week. There's still value in that. But at the end of the day, the really important thing that matters is that we get the result. And so I don't schedule standing calls with my clients. I don't say every Monday at 930 we're going to have a call. We'll set those up as needed if we need them. I don't say the calls are going to be one hour long or an hour and a half long because there's no point. You know, if we're done talking in 20 minutes, uh, <laughs> that's an hour and 10 minutes of my day that I can go do something else. I can go do more work for that client. I can get them more value. Uh, I can go and market my business. I can go spend that time with my kids. But if I say, you know, we're going to have an hour and a half call every Monday, uh, I'm locked into that call one way or the other. Right. And so it's, it's just sort of a different way of looking at your business. And there is some sort of, you know, there certainly is some framing you need to do with some types of clients that might not understand the concept of value based fees. And that happens a lot. You know, there's an educational component to this. But at the end of the day, what I found is that it really makes no difference as long as you're delivering the result. That's all that they want at the end of the day. When you, when you phrase it that way about the, the weekly hour long call, it kind of clicked in my head because you're right. When you sell, when you focus on the deliverables, when you focus on reports, when you focus on checking in or even on-site visits, anything like that, then even if the work doesn't need to be done, you're still showing up. And that's kind of where the perverse incentives and kind of disalignment of 
hourly pricing or just non-value based pricing come up because if I'm getting paid to do this, even if it's not necessary, like I'm going to still do it. And that's where I think the value based pricing makes a big shift with it, but it still is such a big shift from the common mentality. So what was your transition like from going from a more traditional billing model to value-based fees? Like, was it just an overnight thing? You attended a seminar, like, all right, <laughs> this is what I'm doing now. Or how, how did that work? No, no, it, it, it wasn't easy at all. You know, so when I got really serious, there was, there were times where I was trying to write proposals following the value-based model. Uh, but I hadn't done a good job of explaining myself. I hadn't done a good job of building uh, rapport with the client. I hadn't done enough. I hadn't done a good enough job of gaining their trust. Uh, I hadn't done a great enough job of building conceptual agreement, which is really the core of what Alan teaches is that you and the buyer conceptually agree that these are the outcomes. Uh, these are the measures of success. And here's the value to be derived from reaching those objectives. And so there were lots of times where I had opportunities in buyers' offices where I rushed the process, you know, where I thought, oh, well, now I'm going to charge $70,000 just because I can. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, it, and, you know, there was a few times where I made that mistake while thinking, well, you know, now I'm a value-based fee consultant. And so, therefore, I'm going to charge this much money and get this proposal out the door. Uh, so I had to really learn that process of you know what those discussions look like with a buyer what they really wanted to know what they wanted to hear and how you could again slow down the process build trust and treat these engagements like a relationship you know one of the biggest problems i see with people that come to me for mentoring whether they're freelancers or designers or whoever they are is that you know they're treated as this commodity by the client because you know they're they're paid for this service and therefore, they're sort of they're treated like like they're on a leash. They're there to do whatever the client says. My engagements are treated like a relationship. And so if it takes six months to get the business, that's fine. Right. But if we can work together, uh, if we have a you know mutually beneficial agreement, they're going to work. They're going to do their best to ensure success. I'm going to do my best to ensure success. So it's a win win. And one of the things I want to dial in there on is um, about the conceptual agreement of the value that the project will produce, because I think that is probably one of the areas where people, especially earlier on, are just going to have the wrong attitude. Where, like you said, they're like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm a value based consultant now, so I'm just gonna charge this fee," and it's it's as simple as that. But if you don't do the proper work ahead of time, it, it's not going to work. So what are can you talk a little bit about what that conceptual agreement on the value is and why that's so important? Yeah, so I mean again, Alan's model is uh OMV. I know he hates the acronym, but it's objectives, measures, and value. And that's what you have to understand. An objective is a business outcome. So remember I said you know, some clients expect these deliverables, and we talked about that. And that's not a business outcome. A business outcome is something like higher sales. Uh Better teamwork, you know, uh, increased profit, increased revenue. That's an objective. And so, you know, an objective in a proposal might be uh, reduce the closing time for, you know, every sale. Right. That's an objective. The questions you need to ask your clients are things like what are the ideal outcomes you'd like to experience? And if they say, you know, Alan's typical example is, well, they say we need a three day leadership conference. The question is why? Right. What is the outcome you want from a three-day leadership? A three-day leadership conference is not a business outcome, uh, but you might want better teamwork from a three-day leadership conference. 
The other key is that's up for the, you know, that's typically up to the consultant to decide uh, because a three-day leadership conference might not get you that outcome. So you ask questions like, what are the ideal outcomes you would like to experience? What results are you trying to accomplish? How are you seeking, you know, to do this work? How would the company be changed if you were able to reach these outcomes? And Alan has some great lists on his website. I think if you Google uh, 101 sales questions for any situation, he walks you through each step and he gives you, you know, two dozen questions for each of these components. And so conceptual agreement is that you and the buyer both conceptually agree uh, on each of those three areas. You agree on the business objectives, the outcomes. You agree on how you're going to measure those. And then you agree on the value, the results. And so if the objective is we want to increase profit, the measure is how will you know that that's happening? Well, they might have sales reporting tools in place to show them that's happening. Uh, the phone might ring more, which might be evidence that that's happening. You can create all different kinds of measures, but you go through these with the buyer. And if he says, no, that's not really true, you know, that's, that's not how we would measure it. Well, how would you measure it then? And then you ask very simple questions like, if we were to increase profit, you know, what would that look like? And they say, well, you know, uh, bottom line profit this year was $3 million. Okay, so if we were able to increase that by, you know, let's say 10 or 20%, what would that look like? And then typically, if the buyer trusts you, he'll give you a number. And then you can dig further onto those questions like, okay, so if we were able to increase profit, you know, what would you do with that money? What would the company do? And then he might say, well, you know, we'd be able to pay off some debt. Okay, there's another value statement, right? Now they can pay off more debt. So there's value to that. What else would you do with that? Well, you know, we had to uh, abandon company bonuses last year. But if we were able to bring the profit up, you know, we'd be able to reinstitute the company bonuses. Great. There's some more value. And so you just pile on the value. And, and, and you know, and you do this in a way where the, where the buyer uh, conceptually agrees that you're right. If we can do this. And again, this, you know, there's no smoke and mirrors to this. Uh, it's, it's working together, treating this as a relationship. And, and these are things that the buyer is telling you will happen if you can achieve the work, the outcomes that they need to happen. It's more than just saying your value-based consultant, like you said, and just charging 10x what you used to charge. Because what you're actually doing is a different process. You're, not, you're no longer an order taker. You're no longer kind of almost an employee of the client. You're truly a consultant to them. You're advising them. And like a doctor, to do that, you really need to diagnose and you need to understand what they're doing. Because like you said, if someone comes to you and say they want a three-day leadership seminar, workshop, whatever, if you don't know why they want that, what they're trying to solve, you're probably not going to actually be creating that much value until you truly get to the root of the problem and what that is. That's exactly it. And so you know, one of the things that changed when I adopted this was you understand there's a longer sales process because people typically don't just call you up and say, you know, Noah, uh, we want to increase profit. And I say, great, that'll be $40,000, <laughs> right? It's, it's more like this, Noah, you know, uh, our, our business isn't doing that well or, or we're doing well and we want to do better. We think you can help us. And I would say something like, great, you know, the first step is let's hop on the phone and have a conversation. The next step is let me fly out and let's have a talk about it. And, I'll get on a plane. I'll go see a buyer. We'll have these discussions. Sometimes they might not happen right away. Sometimes they'll take, you know, weeks, months. Uh, I had one one client recently that read my stuff for two years. Uh, he, you know, he would call once in a while. We talk about it, but I didn't rush it. 
And finally, he said, okay, I'm ready to go. And so I flew out there to see him. Uh, this was in, this was in Edmonton. Uh, we spent some time together. We worked on the objectives, the measures and the value. I went home, I created a proposal and I got the work. And so, you know, it was a two year sales process, but it, it was worth it. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to call you up and say, all right, uh, we need a new website and you're going to say, great. You know, the, if I give you this new website, the value of that's 50, easily going to add $50,000 to your bottom line. Therefore my fee is, you know, whatever, $20,000. It doesn't work that way. And so there is a process. There was a learning process that I had to go through. And as I said, there were times where I messed up. There were opportunities that I blew. But, you know, that's part of learning, right? Yeah, and I think this leads to my next question, which is all of this happens, not necessarily, well, all of this happens, the OMV cycle happens before you talk about the price. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, the only time, uh, and again, also something I learned from Alan, the only time the buyer is seeing fees is when he has a proposal in his hand. Because it, it, as Alan says, if you're talking about fees during those initial discussions, uh, you know, there's a good chance that they're just price shopping. There's a good chance that they don't see the value that you can actually give to them. And so you, you have to slow that down. And so if a buyer says to me right away, you know, no, we just want to know what this is going to cost. Uh, I might say something like, well, it's going to cost anywhere between $5,000 and $5 million. Uh, the thing I've also started saying to, you know, you start to, as you start to develop your brand and your business, you start to get contacts and reach out. And a lot of them are smaller businesses. And that's fine. I'm willing to work with them. But typically now I'll say something like, you know, uh, I'm willing to meet with you. I'm willing to hop on the phone with you. I'm willing to, you know, have discussions about this. But just so you know, the minimum project fee is going to be somewhere around $30,000. How does that feel? You know, how does that sound to you? And, and if they say, well, you know, geez, like uh, the last consultant I worked with was, was, you know, $130 an hour and we had him for 10 hours or something. Well, that's fine. You know, go hire that guy. <laughs> and so, uh, so these are all things I've learned. I've gotten far more bold in those, uh, those statements. And then very, what's really cool is once in a while somebody says, yeah, that's cool. You know, that's great. I'd love to talk with you. That sounds fine. And then you get the business. One of my best projects this year was a small, a small business where I said exactly that. The minimum uh, fee is going to be $30,000. And she said, okay, let's go. Yeah, because that's one of the things. There's recently a friend of mine published a blog post about like, no, I'm not going to give you a ballpark. And it just caused a ton of on a lot of the online freelancer communities and agency communities, it caused a ton of backlash because people are like, well, clients, that's what they need to know. They need to know what it's going to cost so they want to go forward. And I like your approach where if they push, you'll give them a minimum and say it will be at least this. But one, you, you won't know what it's going to cost until you do that kind of diagnosis. But two, if they're just looking at the cost, then it completely ruins the whole value argument because you haven't even had a chance to explain why it's worth that. Well, yeah, and they're and you know, and the other problem with that is they're also talking to eight other agencies or eight other people. And so, if you want to set yourself apart, uh, and this is this is a very very hard. This was a very hard lesson for me to learn. But again, as I I learned it through trial and error, and I'm continuing to learn it. Uh, you have to be willing to lose business. You have to be willing to walk away from business uh, that doesn't fit your ideals. It doesn't fit, you know, your your sort of uh, sweet spot in terms of clients or project size. And too many of us 
aren't willing to do that. And I get that, right? When you have a mortgage to pay or you don't have a spouse that's working and has a job uh, or, you know, you've got new kids in the house, whatever, you got to pay the bills. You need the business. And sometimes you have to take whatever you can get and fight for it. But other times you have to be willing to, you know, to say, sorry, I just don't think this is a great fit for us and, and walk away from it. Yeah. And I think that's probably the simplest way of putting it is because if you're not going to be able to get everybody to delay talking about the price for that long, nor should you. And some of them, I think having some disqualification process is crucial because that's what a lot of people are worried about when they're coming to you is that they're worried that like whatever you quote them is going to be this huge number that they can't afford. And for different size clients, what's huge to them is different, but they don't want to commit all this time without knowing. And so I think it is important to say that like, no, you're going, not everyone's going to be on board with this. And that's okay. Exactly. And, you know, a a great example of that is the story I just told you of the client uh, at West. You know, I flew out there and and he kept saying things like, you know, yeah, I'm I'm just a little worried about how much is this this going to cost? I just need to know how much is this going to cost? And I continued to push back on it and said, well, you know, I don't know, but let me ask you a few more questions. Let's talk about you know, if we can achieve these outcomes, what sort of result we're looking at. You know, this was a $60 million a year business, right? So, so the cost, the cost there is really irrelevant. Sure, the CEO and the president is worried about it. And I shouldn't, you know, it's not irrelevant to the point where it doesn't matter. Uh, but he can afford it. And I know this. And so, you know, I continue to push back on that, uh, continue to ask the right questions, continue to drive forward the value, uh, continue to build the relationship to tell them, you know, to show them that, look, I'm not here just to suck a fee out of you. I want to make sure we're both in agreement here. I want to make sure this relationship is strong. I want to make sure you trust me. Uh, and then once he had the proposal, you know, th- there was no pushback on the fee at all. It was just which option would he pick? And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. And so, again, hard lessons to learn. Uh, I've learned them multiple times, and I've had Alan beat me down multiple times, you know, and say things like, you're afraid of losing the business. But the big lesson that he's taught me is, you know, you walk into a buyer's office with no business. The, you know, the, the, the upside, there's all upside. The upside is you get the business. The downside is you go home, and you're the same as you were before, you know? <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, in, in gambling, we call that a free roll. That's where it's like you can only win. That's right. And, and when you win, then you can be a little bit more aggressive. And so that's the really cool thing about value-based fees is when you win a few times, suddenly you can get a little bit more bold. You start to under, understand your own value a little bit better. You start to trust yourself a little bit more. And uh, you know that's when you can get on this roll and you can really grow your business fast. Just out of curiosity, like what point are you typically flying out to meet with the buyer? At what point in the sales process is that, or only when you have a check in hand, or is it when you're closer? Like where does it change? Like what are your thought process and like how high of a touch a sales process you'll be willing to give them? Good question. And again, you know, something that Alan's taught me is not only are people too afraid to lose business, we're too afraid to spend money to get business. And so I've really tried to take that to heart as hard as it can be sometimes because I have gotten on a plane, left my family for two days, flown somewhere, stayed in you know a hotel and not gotten the business. Uh, but typically I will try and qualify the f- client on the phone. So we will have a discussion. You know, We'll really start talking on a sort of higher level about those outcomes, start to build the relationship, just you know, get to know each other a little bit. And, and then I've typically got a good feeling about 
who the company is, how big they are. Uh, if I'm talking to a buyer, which is obviously one of the key points in Alan's teaching, if you, if you fly out there and you're talking to uh, the director of websites and he has no ability to write a check, then you've blown it, right? Uh, but I'm willing to spend that money and to get on a plane whenever I can if I know there's a, a good chance that there's a substantial project there. And so coincidentally, just before we had this call, uh, I just got confirmation on a new piece of business, which I did fly out to two weeks ago, and it was a big trip. Uh, it was across the U.S., and I was you know, way down in the south. I came home, and I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought we had a great we had a great discussion. I think, you know, my, uh, my conceptual agreement was a little bit sloppy in terms of I probably could have slowed it down. I probably could have gotten back on the phone with him. Uh, I knew that I probably wasn't getting back on a plane to go out and see them again, but, uh, but sometimes you get lucky, you know? And so I just got confirmation that they're going to go ahead this morning. And so that's an example of though, you know, my, uh, my expense on that to go down and see that client was probably about 1500 bucks in terms of a flight. And again, that's not including the most value, valuable, uh, thing, which is our time. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that if I know there's a good chance of a good project. I have clients who are talking to vendors and agencies of websites and things like that. And it boggles my mind that they're willing to just quickly shoot off a proposal for 50 or $60,000, you know, after one single Skype session with my client, uh, you know, and it just makes me whack my head, right? This, you're trying to get 50 or $60,000 out of this person. Sure enough, you know, you can make the effort to meet with them. Right, it has to be worth that investment. Right, and and you know, and sometimes you're going to make those investments and and not get them. And you talked about the free roll and the idea of a little yeah. bit of house money. Well, when you have that, you can make those you can make those investments a little bit more. So I get sometimes, you know, look, like there's no way I'm spending fifteen hundred bucks for this. But these are the types of things I do. One of the things I've shared on other podcasts, which again I learned from the community of Alan and his group, is this idea of doing executive breakfasts, and. This is a concept, uh, you know, essentially of if you think about other consultants, other agencies, other places, you know, they'll rent out a room at the uh, the airport hotel and they'll invite everybody and anybody they can get. They'll postcard, you know, hundreds of businesses and hope people show up and they'll put some donuts out. It's a really lousy event, right? And and you might get a little bit of business out of it. The better way to do it is to target maybe 40 high-level companies, dream clients, executives, people that you would like to connect with and put on a really high-class event for them. And so if you send out 40, 50 invitations, the goal is to get you know a minimum of 13 to 15 people in the room. And you do it at somewhere like the Four Seasons. And you have a fantastic breakfast. You, know, you spare no expense. You, know, you present to them. And then you try and get some business from it. You start to build the relationships. These are events that I've done that have generated business. One of the clients that came out of one of my breakfasts has turned out, turned out to be uh, a you know, well over six-figure client. And the total cost for doing this, again, probably under 2000 bucks, right? Your cost to do it at the airport hotel, probably 800 bucks. <laughs> you do things on a little bit higher level uh, and you'll get the results. One of the, one of the guests I had in the podcast, um, Jake Dragovin, he, what he has is he has an agency called Outbound Creative. And have you read, uh, Chet Holmes, uh, the sales machine or I forget the actual 
title of it, but he talks a lot about the dream client campaign where these are the clients that can take your agency or consultancy, whatever, to the next level. And because of the potential value to them, you're able to spend so much more on trying to acquire them because it almost doesn't matter. Like the difference between $800 and $2,000 is $1,200 to, especially when, when you're starting out, that, that can be a real difference. But like if, if it can get you a six figure client, it would be foolish not to just spend the extra and, and make it a top class event and actually put the time and effort in that, that size project is worth. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, first of all, the Chet Holmes Dream 100 is a is a process that I'll take many you know B two B manufacturing clients through because because they'll have salespeople out there pounding the pavement and they're not really focused on who they should be trying to attract and you know Chet's process in that book many years ago is a fantastic process for anybody in business just to simply define who are these people it doesn't have to be a hundred. You know, you can pick 50, you can pick 20, you can pick 10. Focus your efforts on finding out who is the right buyer in that company. Again, the buyer, the economic buyer is the person that can write the check. Uh, and then what can you do to get on their radar? Where can you speak that they'll be attending? What can you send them that would be of value? Uh, cold calling, you know, knocking on doors, very, very difficult. Right. So you need to start to build your brand, which most of your listeners are probably doing. And they've heard this before, uh, but you need to market. You need to market relentlessly. You need to be consistent. So one of the things I do is send out my weekly Tuesday tidbit, I call it. Uh, I have not missed a week of that in probably four years. So it doesn't matter what's happening on a Tuesday. doesn't matter you know, what's going on in my life, that is going out one way or the other. You have to be that consistent. Too many of us think we can blog on a Tuesday and then not blog, you know, till next next month on a random Thursday. You have to be consistent. Your customers, your prospects, they want you to be consistent. So if you're sending out an email newsletter or anything like that, again, you need to be consistent. Going back a little bit is because a lot of the guests I've had on the show talk about from marketing from more of a technical side with building the funnel, having building an audience online, getting people on your email list and selling from there. For the more higher touch things like that breakfast, how are you trying to win the business? I'm guessing it's not just at the end of the breakfast, you say, hey, you want to work with me? So like what what is the process like for kind of nurturing that relationship and slowly kind of moving them towards the goal of becoming a client? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you want to have you want to have really good, really good content, first of all. Right. And so so you want to uh, certainly impress them at the breakfast with some good intellectual property. You want to engage them in some discussion. And then, you know, you you want to provoke them a little bit to either give you a card or to set up a next meeting or to set up a next contact. And, and sure, many of them are going to get up and say, hey, that no, that was great. You know, I, I got to run. Right. But some of them are going to say. No, you know, that was pretty intriguing. In fact, I think our business could use help with a few of those things. You know, is this something we might be able to talk about? They might not say it exactly that way, but typically they'll say something like that. I forget what the goal was as the breakfasts were being talked about in the Allen community, but, you know, it was was to get six cards out of 15 people in the room and to close three pieces of businesses. Well, if your average project is $30,000, you know, it's a, it's a $90,000 marketing event. Not not a bad day, right? No, not at all. And that's the thing. So I my background is I was formerly a professional poker player. And so I always think about the expected value. And so you think about like, all right, if this bet, if I win this 40% of the time and when I win, I get X and then I can spend this much on the wager and come out ahead. 
that's a mindset that I've always had, but I've realized isn't always natural to people. But when you think about the terms very simply, you look at the numbers, you look at like, all right, if I send personalized invitations to 50 executives in a highly targeted market to a well put on event, 15 show up and I can get six cards, I can close half of them. That means that I get three deals worth X. How much am I willing to invest to get that sort of return? And you can do the math out and maybe your numbers are wrong, but even if you're conservative, it can make you a lot more comfortable with making these types of investments. Well, sure. And, 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 and sorry to interrupt you, you know, the, no. the opposite side of that is, is to do the event anyways and, you know, to spend the money and look at it as a, as a marketing expense and, and say, you know, okay, I could go spend $2,000 in ads and I could hope that a few people visit my website and I could hope that a few contact them or, you know, I could spend 150 bucks and send these invitations and see if I can get enough people in the room to do a really impressive, fantastic event with with a few, you know, really high profile ideal clients. And to me, you know, that's a far better investment. But there, there's so many ways to skin this cat, you know, and it's it's at the end of the day, it's how will you reach the right buyers that you need to reach and how you will show how will you show them that you've got great value to offer i'm going to stop noah right there for a quick word for a sponsor but when we come back you'll learn what advice noah has that is pretty much the opposite of basically all of my other guests so hang tight we'll be right back the agency advantage podcast is brought to you by hubstaff Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without the crazy fees. Where they really find the value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with their project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it like Google Analytics for your team. And like Noah said, your most valuable asset is your time. How much faster could you grow your agency if you weren't constantly weighed down by the minutia of management? What would you be able to do with a few extra hours every single week? Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Noah. From the beginning, you said you wanted to work with these big clients. You're now working with clients who have up to sometimes billions in revenue. How did you find them? Like what was your, what methods did you originally start with to kind of move up market like that? Uh, again, you know, I spent a lot of time really trying to understand Alan's concept of uh, don't specialize, but generalize. You know, I, I grew up in the marketing world where, and I think you and I talked about this earlier, where, you know, everybody says you want to specialize, right? You want to be the, you want to be the landscape uh, niche guy, that goes out there and works with all the landscape. And I know that guy, by the way, I know the landscape guy and he does, he's, he's actually part of Alan's community and he does really, really well. Uh, but there was something appealing about Alan's thought of, of generalizing and the idea that, you know, if you were good at sales and marketing, if you were good at uh, customer retention, if you were good at sales process or whatever, that, you know, you could specialize, and that might be really good for a while. You could specialize and say, I'm the, the banking expert for customer service. Or, or you could just say you're the customer service expert. And that's a little bit harder uh, to define yourself, to position yourself. But you know what? If you stay at it, if you focus at it, suddenly you've got clients all over the place that need your help. And so right now, uh, I'm working with clients in B2B organizations from you know million-dollar gas, oil and gas equipment 
uh, to small plumbing valves, to guitar manufacturers, to e-commerce, to nonprofits. The, you know, I'm running the gamut of clients I'm working with across dozens of different industries. And to me, there's nothing more exciting than that because what I'm able to do is I'm able to pull in things that might work over here that suddenly work over here. Uh, I'm working with a company that makes conveyor belts, right? Like conveyor belts, you know. Now imagine if I was the conveyor belt guy. Uh, there, there's only so much opportunity for me. But if I can be the sales and marketing guy to all these manufacturers, uh, if I can be the customer retention or the loyalty guy to all these people, right? Suddenly, there's a there's a much bigger pool for me to choose from, uh, and there's much greater opportunity. And so, again, that's just another thing that has played out really well for me that I've really embraced. This idea that you know I can work with anybody, right? The, the process, the tools, the things are applicable to everyone and anyone. Uh, if I specialized, you know, I'd, I'd really be struggling, I think, to fill a breakfast of executive or to get the right people to pay attention. Sometimes people ask me, like, what is it you do? What do you specialize in? And you know what? I don't really have the best answer for you. Um, I, I don't say I'm the landscape architect niche that works with, you know, landscapers trying to dramatically increase their revenue and cut fewer lawns. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing to say, but I like to be able to work with everybody. Yeah, and because that's the thing is a lot of the guests I've had on the show have said basically that have advocated for technical specialization or at least kind of picking a niche because it makes it easier to differentiate yourself. If you're working especially in, in web design or any type of like pay-per-click ad agency, that type of thing, like if you're the guy to go to for sup the supplement industry and you're competing with other agencies going for the same business, if they're generalists, if they're doing everything, usually the specialist is going to win. With the projects that you're working on, you're not usually competing with other consultants for the business. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I'm an island of one, right? <laughs> so, And so it's the same thing is, is if you've got the supplement expert uh, working, you know, the supplement agency, and then you've got uh, these six other agencies, I want to be... I want to be the eighth agency, which is the island of one, you know, the guy that's saying something really interesting, really provocative, really unique that is interesting to me as a supplement maker. And because, you know what, the supplement guy, he's worked with all these people, right? He's just another expert. He's just another niche provider. But then there's this other guy that's different than the first six guys and different than the seventh guy that's saying something a little bit more unique. And so I think that's who you want to be. You know, and that's you can you can specialize. You can be an expert. You have to be, uh, and you have to pick you know some sort of area where you've got your sweet spot. But it should be applicable to everybody, is my belief. You want them to say, "I want to work with Noah," instead of saying, "I want to have I want to work with someone on this problem." Let's see who's out there. You want them to want to work specifically with you, right? And and you know, and that's again, Alan's classic line is is you don't want somebody that says, get me a consultant who specializes in customer loyalty, right? You want them to say, get me Noah Fleming, right? Mm -hmm. We need Noah Fleming to solve this. Uh, and, and that's what you want. And whether it's an agency, whether it's an entrepreneur, a freelancer, you know, you want them to say that, get me, get me this person. And your branding, your marketing, your materials, the way you reach them, all that stuff should perpetuate, right? That, that character, that persona, that uh, archetype, that you know positioning that you're trying to present to the world 
That makes perfect sense. And it's like, but it just means your branding and your marketing needs to be that much more cohesive, stronger. It, you need to take it more seriously if you want to kind of attract that sort of business. Whereas a lot of times if you're specializing, it's easy to jump some business because you're the guy that does that. And so if someone has that problem, they know who to go to. But I can totally see how if you have dreams of getting beyond that, of growing bigger than that, of solving different problems of bigger problems, having a brand that attracts people to you is, is crucial. Yeah, you know, my my sweet spot of clients is mid-market privately held companies with revenues ranging from $5 million to $500 million a year. That leaves me a lot of room <laughs> and a lot of different industries and a lot of different types of clients to work with. And that doesn't mean that a lot of, you know, under $5 million companies and nonprofits and people walk in the back door and say, hey, you know, we'd be interested in working with you. That doesn't mean that companies over that that have over a billion dollars in revenue come and say, hey, you know, we'd like to work with you. But uh, I'd rather just be focused, you know, in that sort of broad sense as opposed to putting myself in this box. Uh, I think it's just I think it's very difficult I think, again, you know, you can still reach those people. I, I can reach five to $500 million CEOs and presidents of privately held mid-market companies. I can certainly niche out of that and say, okay, now I want all the manufacturers that fit into there, right? Now I want to find all the uh, B2C e-commerce websites that fall into there. And I can then, you know, target them in that way. I can reach them in that way. I can speak to them in that way. Uh, but it also just leaves me so broad in terms of opportunity. To push back a little bit, what I'm I'm guessing that if you were to do some sort of 80-20 analysis on all the projects you've done, there have to be some problems that you regularly solve that you're able to just produce significantly more value than others. W- would you say that or no? Uh, sure. What I would say is that, you know, and, and again, another learning from Alan is that Alan will tell you he's a process consultant. Uh, what I've learned is that process that I apply in a billion dollar organization is not much different than a process that's needed in a, uh, a $60 million business, whether it's from, you know, customer follow-up process, a sales process. Uh, and so, you know, if you start to have your tools and your toolkit and your ability to fix things, again, just the broader, the more types of companies you can, you can help fix that, the better. So if you're a, you know, one of the people in Alan's community is a guy named Chad Barr. I don't know if you heard of Chad Barr. He wrote a great book called Million Dollar Web Presence. Uh, and what Chad helps people do is build a million dollar web presence. And I know for a fact that Ch- Chad uh, is getting you know far more to do a website than most website developers and designers uh, because he doesn't help people just build a website. He helps them build a million dollar web presence across almost any industry, you know, in any niche. Doesn't matter who you are. Uh, he has the tools in his toolkit and the process to help you build this web presence. Part of that will be designing be designing a website, but then there's so much other value he can bring into that. And so again, right, and he's not he's not selling the website exactly, exactly. What, with all the books, with the two books you've written, well, the new new one coming out soon, and all the kind of brand building you do, are you still doing some? proactive outreach are you still reaching out to specific clients directly yourself or are you just kind of serving purely like inbound leads right now uh no absolutely i'll I'll do outbound efforts so you know i'll send out my books to people um sometimes those are cold efforts sometimes those are people that are reading my stuff again another you know simple 
relative costs for me to absorb with huge upside. So I'll, I'll do different outbound campaigns for sure. The breakfast again is, you know, pretty much an outbound campaign. Uh, I'll do these types of things and, and absolutely, you know, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call people and, and I'll say, uh, you know, I was reading this and I think I can help you with that. Or would you be interested in learning more about this? And those efforts can work. Obviously the more people you're attracting to you, uh, the, the more likely you are to get, you know, better business, better volume of business. But um, no, absolutely. I'll do those efforts for sure. I remember on, on Matting Lots podcast, you talked about sending your book. How many copies of your book do you estimate you send out a year? Uh, well, my book came out last year and I think, you know, okay, I, yeah. I gave away a thousand copies in the first year. Uh, again, it's, it's a, you know, one consulting project pays for all thousand books, mm-hmm. t- you know, multiple and times, then some, and then yeah. some. And so, so for me, you know, it's just a commercially published book is just to get another tool to help you grow your business. A self-published book is another tool to help you grow your business, uh, to again, show potential clients and prospects, your expertise, the things that you help clients with, the things that you can help them with. And so again, it's the cost of doing business. You know, uh, the books do me no good, uh, here, here in my basement. I've got a box, I think of about 25 left right now. And, you know, they're doing no good sitting there. I think it was a, there was a famous marketer that once said, you know, the thing about most authors is they'll never freeze because they've always got books to burn. Um, I don't want books to burn. You know, I want to, I want to give them away. And so the book is a business building tool. And just like the breakfast and other events, I'll, uh, I'll give them out as aggressively as I can. When you give out the book, is it usually in person? Are you are you mailing them? And once you give it out, is there any follow up or like how do you kind of view that process? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, I've done again more specific campaigns where I've targeted ten, twelve, fifteen potential clients, uh, and I've customized a letter for each one of them. And I've said, you know, uh, chapter nine has some important stuff that might be useful to your company. And I've sent those out. And then I will say something in my letter, like I will call you on June 27th at 10 a.m. to follow up. And then on June 27th at 10 a.m., I'll call that person. I'll say, you know, it's Noah Fleming. I sent you a copy of my book a few weeks ago. Uh, Just reaching out as promised. And, you know, and then I'll just shut up and see what they say. How did what is the typical reaction to that? Uh, it it depends. I mean, if they've read my stuff, if they know who I am, then obviously it's a it's a it's a warmer response. But I've gotten business from that, and then I've also had people that say, uh, you know, sorry, I'm not interested. And, and again, it, that's more of a colder approach, which is why it works less effectively. Again, you know, just the opportunities there. I think agencies, designers, experts, anybody has this opportunity to create something of value and to send to prospective clients and to say something very pointed and specific like, you know, uh, I was checking out your website. I saw X, Y, and Z. I think, you know, I think this document might help you with this and just to add some additional value and then to say something like, uh, I hope you enjoy this. I'll call you next Thursday to follow up. Yeah. No, and I mean, I think it's something that's it's simple. It does have a, a small cost in terms of time and materials, but the payoff is just so significantly disproportionate that I think you're right. And more agencies, more consultants need to be doing this type of thing. So to kind of use that to segue into the last bit I want to cover before we wrap up, 
I know you offer mentoring to consultants. So how do you help other consultants improve their businesses? Uh, so that that is actually something that I did with Alan Weiss. So Alan has a program called the – well, he used to do his own private mentoring program. And there's you know three, three or 4,000 people like me have gone through that program. When Alan decided he didn't want to do any more personal mentoring, he created a master mentor network. And so there's, I think, 40, 40 of us that have been trained by Alan – uh, and what we do is we work with people that come in to his community with a mentor. And so basically that's assuming that you're going to embrace value-based fees and everything we talked about. You're going to embrace, you know, the, the intellectual property that Alan has taught and his concepts and his methodology. And then you work with a mentor over six months to ensure that you're embracing those concepts, to grow your business, to find clients, to talk about a lot of the things we've talked about. So if you're working with me as a mentee and you're dealing with a prospect, you know we might have a conversation about what your meeting is going to look like tomorrow at two. Uh, if you're doing a proposal, I would help you with the proposal, and so I would help you craft it a little bit better. We would work on your value statements and things like that, and so that's typically how it works. Uh, I've worked with probably I think half a dozen in the past year or so, and they've all done really really well. And so it's just uh, it, you have to be willing again to say, you know. I can get on board with this concept. I'm going to study what Alan has taught in these 60 something books. Doesn't mean you need to read them all. You only need to read, you know, one or two to get the idea and then to really take it serious and seriously and embrace that in your business. Do you see yourself doing more of this as time goes on or where do you see your focus shifting as you develop your own brand and in consulting practice uh i yeah i don't see my my focus shifting too much i mean i will continue to build my own practice i think to me that's you know that's obviously number one uh continue to build my own brand i'll continue to write books but i think the mentoring is just it's such a great way uh for others to again just to get their business up to this sort of level uh, to really understand value-based fees, to really understand how to grow their consulting practice and to charge the fees they'd like, you know, to get clients uh, interested in them, to build their brand, to create powerful marketing that attracts clients to them. I think it's all really, really important. So I really like the mentoring side of things, but uh, you know, to me that's sort of, if, if somebody wants to do mentoring with me, I'm really excited about it. It's great. But at the end of the day, you know, growing my consulting this mm -hmm. is really sort of my core focus. There's a pair of questions I like to ask everybody. And so the first part of it is, what do you think you spend too much time on right now? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know if you get the same answer to this all the time, but uh, I can be the best procrastinator there is. And so I spend a lot of time, you know, procrastinating the work that I need to do. If I know that I've got to get a manuscript done for a book by June 5th, uh, and I've had that since January, you know, I'll find a way to wait till April, right? <laughs> and, and then I'll crank through it, no problem. But uh, I'll spend a lot of time just, you know, spinning my wheels and when I should be getting stuff out there. And so a lot of, and so I spend way too much time self-editing for sure. And again, mm -hmm. that's something I'm continuously trying to get better at is to stop self-censoring, self, stop self-editing and just write and speak and get stuff out there. Uh, get stuff out there that's interesting to my buyers instead of saying, you know, gee, what are they going to think of this? Or what's somebody going to say about this? All, all things that we all deal with. The follow-up is what do you wish you spent more time doing? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I love my job right now. You know, I just, before we got on the call, I, I, I sent my wife a, a text. I said, I have the best career in the world. 
you know, I, I love the work I do. I love the clients I'm working with. I think the more I can work with, the better, the more I can help my clients grow, uh, the more I can help my mentees grow. I think, you know, that's all really exciting stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm also a believer that I said this a couple times, the most important thing we have is our time. And the first thing I told you is that I'm a father first and foremost. So the more time I can spend with my kids having fun and, you know, playing around and watching them grow up is just, that's the ultimate to me. Right. And with value-based fees, you don't need to be, you're not selling your time to earn a living anymore. You're able to position yourself so that you're, you're able to find the time to spend with the people you love. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just it's no, awesome. If the listeners want to hear more of what you have to say, whether it's about building a business, whether it's about consulting, whether it's whatever, where is the best place for them to follow you? Uh, definitely check out my website, which is noahfleming.com, and they can learn things there, you know, about the mentoring program. Uh, they can check out some of my books there and other things that I've done. And uh, s- certainly sign up to my newsletter if you want to see how that Tuesday tidbit works and how I send that every week. And then, you know, if, if they're interested in talking any more about this, certainly send me an email, which is noah at noahfleming.com. And, you know, on my website, you'll find all the other places where we're told we need to be and doing things. And, <laughs> you know, I just don't get it. You're, you won't find my you won't find uh, videos of me walking and getting into elevators on Snapchat. I, so you're not I, on Snapchat? Yeah. Yet. I'm on there. But I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't see it yet. <laughs> no, I'm in, I'm in the same spot, but I'll I'll get all of that linked up for everyone to listen to, and, and I just want to say Noah, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh well, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Great. See you. Right, bye bye. The model of value based fees is such a paradigm shift that it can be easier to just completely dismiss it entirely rather than try to objectively analyze how it could actually work for your agency. So I'm telling you right now. If you're saying to yourself, this could never work for me, stop and give it a chance. The underpinning of it is that you should be paid for your contribution to the outcome the client gets. Now, to make this work, you can't be an order-taking agency who simply executes on the plans they're given, because then you're just a commodity that can be price shopped. But if you're able to properly diagnose your client's real business problem and find the solution for it that they might not have been aware of, and on top of that are able to create significant value for their business, then you deserve to be adequately compensated for that. If you simply want to build websites or manage AdWords accounts and don't want to have to become a true business expert, then first, let me tell you that it's not actually that hard. But if that's really what you want, then you need to run an agency like a well-oiled machine because your rates are always going to be tied to the market. So if you want good margins, they need to come from efficient operations. But if you want to grow beyond market rates, you need to take on the role of the consultant who is advising the client on the best course of action, not just following orders. In practice, you'll still be working on similar projects, but your relationship with the client will change entirely for the better. Noah was a great guest to speak for that mindset, and I'm glad he came on the show. But can you do me one favor? I know that people have strong opinions on value-based fees, so I'd love it if you went over to the Hubstaff blog and shared your thoughts in the comments section. I promise I'll reply to everyone. That's all I have for you guys this week. Next week, we'll be back with Kobe Conrad, who shares how his agency is positioning itself to be in the front of the next gold rush. I'll talk to you then. See ya.